This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Turn to the Word of God tonight to the first epistle of John. First epistle of John, chapter 2. So 1 John chapter 2. And I'm just going to read one verse at this point. Verse 20. So 1 John 2 verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth. Now, over these past two Sundays, we have been uh, looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we began by looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit regarding creation, and then the new creation, the new birth. And then on the Sunday evening last, uh, we further looked and uh, we talked more about the Holy Spirit and what he does and who he is and uh, all the rest of it. Uh, this morning we picked up again on that and uh, we talked about the Holy Spirit uh, in our corporate gatherings and in our individual lives and what he is trying to do and how he said that he is trying to prepare us that he may present us as a bride unto Christ, as a chaste virgin, as Paul says, unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we talked about uh, some of those things that grieve the Holy Spirit because the thing that he tries to do to prepare us and to present us is to get us into unity and harmony. And if we do the things that grieve the Holy Spirit, then there will be no unity or harmony. And so we looked at length at that this morning. Tonight, I want to specifically talk about the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the your anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Christ, if you have been born again of His Spirit, there is something of a deposit of the Holy Spirit in your life. You have the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit of Christ, we're none of His, the Bible says. So we have the Holy Spirit, and there's a deposit of the Holy Spirit. There is an anointing of the Holy Spirit. There's divine equipping of the Holy Spirit that is in your life. And all of us, each of us, every single one of us that are born again of God's Spirit. When you were recreated in Christ, when you were born again in Jesus, then it was that moment when the Holy Spirit came and made a deposit in your life, whenever God created Adam in the garden, he breathed into him the very breath of life. And whenever you were recreated in Christ, Christ breathed into you the breath of life, as it were. The Holy Spirit came and gave you this new life in Jesus. Now, since then... Many of you may say, well, I have had infillings of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever you want, the terminology you want to use. You have an unction of the Holy Spirit. So this anointing, this unction, this divine equipping, this ability of the Holy Spirit brings something into our lives that is absolutely necessary for us as born-again believers. We cannot 
and could not live the Christian life in Christ without the ministry of the Holy Spirit residing in us. This anointing, first of all, brings revelation. Brings revelation. Now, the context uh, that John's writing here is this. In the early church, there, the church wasn't that long going until uh, false teaching began to infiltrate the church. Uh, and there were several false teachings. One of them was called Gnosticism. And that's from the Greek word gnosis, which means to know. Uh, and Gnostics were a bit then like the New Agers are today. They were a, a, a syncretism, all kinds of beliefs, all mixed up together. It's just hard to actually define. But there, there was a core belief. And the core belief was that they believed that everybody had a divine spark within them, a divine self within them. But the trick was, how do you find that divine self within you? And you could only find it through special knowledge, special revelation. And they were the ones who had this special revelation. Nobody else had it, but they had it. And if you wanted to get it, you had to go and join them, be part of them, and learn from them, and receive this special revelation and this special knowledge. And believe me, that really impacted the early church in the 2nd to 4th century. That was a big thing that had come into the church and had to be ferociously fought against. Every generation has false teaching that seeps into the church. And, and it's usually not anything new. It's the same devil with a different hat on that comes through the generations and brings it up again and again. And so it's something that we need to be on guard about and stand fast against because if it gets into the church, it wrecks havoc with the church and it causes uh, believers to, to get shipwrecked in their faith and their belief. And the Holy Spirit obviously does not want that. And so in... in 13 times in John's, these three short epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, uh, 13 times he says things like, we know, we have the truth. In other words, don't listen to those who say they've got this special revelation. We have the Holy Spirit. We know, we have the truth. Not them, we have it. So you don't need to go outside Christianity. You don't need to go outside the ministry of the Holy Spirit to find revelation. We have all the revelation we need through the Holy Spirit. And we need to remember that today as believers. Because trust me, there are people out there who's teaching all kinds of stuff that leads even believers astray. If that was possible, they would lead them astray. You know, I, I'm just back from the Philippines. And each time I go, and Sally, my wife, she gets angry at me because I switch it on deliberately to watch it to see what he's up to next. And, and there's one particular uh, pastor. He's called Pastor Apollo Quiboloi. And, and our fellow friend friends would know all about him. And it's a massive cult. I mean, it's a big, big, big cult in the Philippines, Australia, and America, and Canada. It's all over the world. And he says that I'm just an ordinary man. But... But I am the Son of God. He says, God sent a son 2,000 years ago, and then he returned to heaven. But now he has sent me in his place. So I am the Son of God. Now you say, would people believe it? Yes, they believe that. In fact, I heard him being introduced by 
a lady who was introducing him in church before he came onto the platform, and it made the hair stand on the back of my head. It was blasphemous that he actually believed that, that he is the Son of God. He's the anointed one, the called one. He's got the revelation. He's got the special knowledge, and everybody needs to listen to him. He believes that the city where he lives and the church where he has his church, he believes that the rapture is going to take place from there. And so he's calling on everybody to come to there for the rapture because it's going to come when God's ready to use him to do this. <sighs> yes, I do get angry and I watch it and after a minute or two I switch it off because I can take no more of it. But actually the people in his church are singing the old rugged cross and tears are coming down their faces. Singing all the old hymns believing that they're right, that they have got the revelation. And it's deception. I'm always conscious and, and aware an alarm bells ring in my head when somebody comes along who's maybe not a cult as we would know it, but even within the Christian church at large. And the impression they give is that God has given them a revelation that nobody else has been given. The implication is that God had to wait 2,000 years till they came along to give this revelation. They didn't get it from any man. They got it from no one. God gave it to them, but he has waited all these years before they've got it. When you hear that, or that's implied, alarm bells need to ring in your head. And the apostle Paul, John, was trying to deal with this in his day, and he says, we have the truth. We have the revelation because we have the Holy Spirit. And it's not just for a special group or a special man. It's for all of us who are born again of the Spirit. This revelation is open to everyone who's a child of God. Not just a special group, not just an individual, but every single one of us. Amen? Amen. And 1 John, you don't need to turn to these. 1 John 2, 5, he says, We know that we are in Him. 2.18, we know that we are in the last days. 2.21, we know the truth. 2.29, we know righteousness. 3.15, we know why Christ came. 14, we know we have passed from death unto life. 16, we know the love of Christ. 19, we know we are of the truth. 24, we know he abides in us. 5.15, we know he answers prayer. 5.19, we know we are of God. 5.20, we know we have eternal life. And 3 John uh, verse 12, we know that our testimony bears witness to the truth. Over and over and over again, John is saying, we know him. We know the truth. We know about Christ. We know his purposes and his plans because we have the Holy Spirit. So let's never forget that. Now, we don't know all about God's plans and purposes. We don't know all the things that God's up to right now. But we have the Holy Spirit who can enlighten us when we need to know. When we need to know, we have the Holy Spirit who can show us through the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit, listen, God is not going to do anything contrary to His Word. This word is truth, and the Holy Spirit's the one who reveals his truth to us, so he's not going to do anything contrary to that to confuse us. We can find it in his word. In chapter 2 of 1 John, in verse 20 that we have just read, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, 
and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. And then down away down in verse uh, 27. But the anointing which you have received in him, from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now let's just think about this for a moment. Because some people misunderstand that. Some people say, well, you don't need preachers. You don't need teachers. Holy Spirit's our teacher. He's the one who shows us all things. But Paul says in Ephesians 4 and 11 that God has set in the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the building up of the body of Christ for the work of the ministry. So there's an office of teaching John here is talking about false teachers. We don't want to listen to false teachers, but there's a ministry of teaching within the church that we need to take heed to. If I can use the, the hand illustration again, the fivefold ministry. The thumb represents the apostle. The thumb is the, is the gripping tool in your hand. It keeps it firm in a grip, and it keeps a balance to your whole hand. And of course, the index finger is the pointing finger, speaking of the prophet. The one who points. Now, prophets in the Old Testament were foretellers and foretellers. Not only oftentimes did they foretell things, but more often than not, they were foretellers. They came against kings and they spoke to the nation. Thus saith the Lord to the whole nation. And so they pointed. And then that second finger there, that's the longest finger, that represents the evangelist because it goes out the furthest. And the evangelist goes further and travels further, reaching the lost and going to places where Christ's name is not mentioned. And then, of course, that finger there is the ring finger. That's the family finger. That's the pastor. Take care of the family of God. And then the little finger represents the teacher because that's the one that gets inside the ear, the easiest. And so there's a need for the teacher. There's a need for exposition. There's a need that you need to know the doctrines of the Bible and the truths of the Word of God. That's all necessary. John just simply saying, you don't need those teachers. You don't need the false teachers. The Holy Spirit will teach us, but He teaches us not only individually and privately, but He teaches us through those who are gifted to that ministry to teach. Of course, we all should have our own personal devotions, Times of looking up the Word of God, reading up the Word of God, getting to know the Word of God. And it's a big book, isn't it? There's 66 books. So it's a big volume, isn't it? And so you have to break it up. And you have to get to know, you know, the flow of it right from the beginning, from the first five books, you know, that Moses wrote, and all the way through in the historical books. And you've got to get to know what these are about and what they're for. And, uh, and, the, and the prophetical books, uh, and how that whenever you see how that the prophets, particularly in the time of kings, uh, and the, the conflict very often between the prophets and the kings who were mostly wicked and evil over Israel. Uh, and then you've got to look at the, the poetical books, the philosophical books, you know, from, from Job all the way through to Song of Solomon, and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and all of those 
and try to understand the difference between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. You know, it's a lifetime of learning, but that's okay. Uh, the Holy Spirit can teach us, and God has put teachers in the body of Christ to teach you. And we are fortunate in our nation to have so many Bible bookshops with so many devotionals and daily readings and, and all kinds of commentaries that we can find out all of these things. And of course, then there is the, the prophetical books. And there's the major prophets, and there's the minor prophets. And then when you come into the New Testament, you've got the historical books there, haven't you? You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts. You've got all of that there. And then you've got the, the, the epistles, mostly written by Paul. Uh, and there's church epistles, and there's pastoral epistles, and there's prison epistles, and all of those, and who they relate to, and all the rest of it. And then, of course, you've got Hebrews, and you've got Jude, and... You know, you've got Peter and you've got John and all of those epistles. And then you've got the great last prophetical book, the book of Revelation. And so within the pages and the covers of this wonderful book, we have a, 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 a tremendous amount of, of, of life-giving word for us that the Holy Spirit can teach us and show us and that's why very often whenever you're reading through the Word of God, maybe in your private devotions, suddenly something jumps out at you. And it speaks to you personally. It's for you at that moment. Maybe it was written 3,000 years ago. Maybe it was something the psalmist wrote. But it speaks to you right at that moment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes this Word. He makes it alive for us. And this is partly what He does. Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. You know, whenever you read the Gospel of John, you know, that was written when he was an old, old man. And yet the Holy Spirit... I, sometimes I can hardly remember what I said five minutes ago. I don't know some of you are like that too. <laughs> Senior moments, they're getting quite close together. It's a bit worrying at times, isn't it? But he was an old, old man when he wrote that. But the Holy Spirit brought back to his remembrance. And it's very detailed. And it's centered basically over the last few days of the last week of his life. And it goes into such detail, and it's so different than the other three books, the other three Gospels. But this is what the Holy Spirit did. He, he took men, He used men, and He inspired them. He breathed into them His truth and His Word to be written down. When we say this book is inspired, the Latin word is inspiro. It means to breathe into. The equivalent of that is New Testament is the Greek word Two words, theonustos, which is God breathed. God breathed. So this is no ordinary book. There's something happens. Something happens supernaturally when this word is spoken and the anointing of the Holy Spirit takes it and plants it into the heart of somebody. It's supernatural. We don't know how that works. But it leaves the words in this page through our mouths into the ears and into the heart of somebody else. And it begins to do work. The seed is sown. 
And it's wonderful when the Holy Spirit does this. And so just the way that God breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul, God breathed into this book his will, his word, his heart, his purposes, his promises, his plans, and this book became a living book. There's something alive about this book. You think over the thousands of years that this book has been read and has been taught and has been preached and has been proclaimed and yet it's as fresh today as ever it was. It's more up to date than tomorrow's newspaper. When you read the prophecies of this book and you see them coming true week after week, month after month, year after year, this book is relevant. It's up to date. And it's complete and it's full because it is given by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is given by the, there's that word, the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work is profitable for doctrine. Doctrine is not a dirty word. Somehow or other, and I don't know what happened here, but somehow or other within Pentecostal charismatic circles, today doctrine is being put down almost as a no-no. It's boring, it's dry, it drives people away. Hey, listen, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, preach sound doctrine. It's biblical. It's right. The Holy Spirit wants to do it. How else are we going to know the truth? It builds us up in our faith. It doesn't have to be dry. It doesn't have to be boring. It's real. And it's for us. So let's not be scared of the word doctrine. It's important. Yes, we know people have become divisive. We know all of that there. But the Holy Spirit can still take this doctrine, his doctrines, and teach us through it. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof. That means for rebuke, for censure. Well, pastor, you don't want to rebuke anybody or censure anybody because they'll take a huff and they'll leave and they'll be all upset and you'll annoy people and you'll drive them away. Too bad the apostle Paul didn't know that. Yeah? Hmm? Paul knew it, John knew it, Peter knew it, they all knew it, and they did it when it was necessary and it was timely and under the unction of the Holy Spirit not just to throw their weight about not just to say look who I am I've got this authority because once you do that you're finished but when it was necessary and when it was needed correction and rebuke had to be done correction is the next thing a straightening up that means and sometimes we get bent out of shape, don't we? In our attitudes and our thinking and our ways. And we need straightening up. Nothing better to straighten us up than the Word of God. Instruction in righteousness. Actually, that means child training to bring people to maturity. Any good parent trains their children with the object to bring them to maturity. 
They're cute and they're lovely and they're funny at one and two and three. But if they keep like that when they're 15 and 16, it's not funny anymore. It's a bother. It's trouble, isn't it? They have to mature. And we have to do the things that help them mature. Child training. The apostle Peter, 1 Peter 2.12, said to desire the sincere milk of the word or the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. This is why we beat this drum continually, particularly, especially when you're just saved. Get into the word. That's the milk. That's what will cause you to grow. And in Hebrews, the writer of the Hebrews corrects and censures the Hebrew Christians because he says, by this time you should be off the milk and onto the meat of the word. You're still on the milk. You're still babies spiritually and you should be full grown by now. So there's this double thing. There's this starting off with the milk of the word and then growing in our knowledge of the word through the Holy Spirit enlightening us till we become fully mature believers in Christ. Amen? Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This book is our God-breathed, inspired, infallible, inerrant, living sword of the Spirit. No wonder it is being attacked day and daily. Because our great enemy knows the power of this Word. And he knows that when the Holy Spirit gives us the unction anointing to share this word, either through preaching or testifying or witnessing, it's going to do something. It's going to drive back the powers of darkness. And it's going to show the kingdom of light. And that's why it's being fought continually to try to make it irrelevant. Well, you say, I can't understand it. It's a bit difficult. It's a big book. Well, ask the author. He lives inside you. The one who authored this, the Holy Spirit, lives in each born-again believer. You know, I, I have reams of book on my bookshelves at home. In fact, of that many, I need more bookshelves because they're doubled up. Sally says, not more books, please. And I say, yes, I need more bookshelves. These are my tools. A carpenter has saws and hammers, preachers of books. So these are tools. That's how I justify it. <laughs> but let me tell you something about books. There are certain authors, uh, no matter who you are, there are certain authors that appeal to you. Their style of writing appeals to you. You enjoy it. But there's something about meeting the author. Now, every Bible student has J. Sidlow Baxter's books. J. Sidlow Baxter was a great preacher, a great skilled orator, fabulous communicator, wonderfully gifted man when it came to the Word of God. Could break it up, make it simple for us. Could take difficult subjects and unfold it. Gifted to do that as a great teacher of the Word. I had only one chance in life to meet and to see him. And it was several years ago at the Iron Hall in Belfast. I heard he was coming. 
And I said to Sally, I've got all his books in my bookshelf. I've read them for years. I must see this man. And when I got there, he was a tall, slim, erect figure, white hair. He was almost 90. Great command of the English language. Had that great skill of being an orator. Wonderful theologian. Uh, and, and, and it wasn't that he was away above our heads. He made things simple for us. So I came back home after seeing Siddle Baxter. And he says, by the way, I'll never be back here again because my time is almost done. He says, and I know that. He says, I'm going to be with the Lord soon. And he was in perfect health. And he was right. Shortly after that, he went to be with the Lord. His job was done. So Sally said to me, well, David, you got to see your, your author. What did you think about him? What impressed you, she said. Good question. Well, I said, well, it wasn't just his ability to share the Word of God. It wasn't just his ability in his communicative skills. It wasn't just any standing and his bearing as a man of God, which he had in abundance. I said to say what really impressed me was his singular love for the Lord Jesus Christ. At almost 90, he says, I love the Lord more now than I've ever done in all of my life. And he said, I'm almost about to meet him. And the closer I get to that, the nearer he becomes, the clearer he becomes, and the dearer he becomes. And you know, that stuck with me all of those years. So now when I turn to his books from time to time, I visualize him. I can see him. I've caught his spirit when I read his book. It's no longer just words on the page because I've seen the author. I've heard the author speak. And we have got the Holy Spirit, who's the author of this book, living inside of us. And we get to know the Holy Spirit. Then he can speak to us through his word. And it becomes more real to us because the author is sharing it with us. Are you getting what I'm saying tonight? You say, well, I wish it worked like that to me every time. Well, it doesn't work like that to me every time either. Because in our humanity and in our flesh... Sometimes that gets obscured, but we have that potential and we have that opportunity to say, Holy Spirit, make this clear to me. Show me. And he will do that. Jesus said he will guide you into all truth, John 16, 13. So the anointing brings revelation. The anointing brings guidance. Romans 8, 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. John 16, 13, The Spirit will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit loves to guide us, to lead us. And He can do that through different ways. He can speak. He can prompt. He can move us. And he does that by different means. In Acts 10, Acts 13, Acts 16, you'll see instances where Peter and Paul and Silas and different ones, how the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And it doesn't tell us clearly how he did that, but they heard him. Whether that was in their hearts or whether that was an audible voice, it doesn't say, but they heard him. And he guided them. We see the Apostle Paul, how that 
He wanted to go and preach where no man had preached before. He had his itinerary mapped out. This was his missionary journey. He started out in it, and the Holy Spirit says, No, I don't want you to go there. And so he decided to go somewhere else, and the Holy Spirit says, No, you can't go there either. And he ended up in Troas, and it was there he got the Macedonian call. And it was just 150 nautical miles across the sea to Philippi. And that was the introduction of the first European church. But Paul was sensitive and open to the leading and to the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's nothing wrong with what he wanted to do. His heart was right. He wanted to go and preach where no man had preached before. He wanted to take the gospel where it hadn't been heard. That's good. That's right. But the Holy Spirit says, not at this moment. Not right now. I've got another job for you. And he led and guided him. Peter's lying up the roof of Simon the Tanner. He gets that vision of that sheet coming down three times. Holy Spirit spoke and said, there's three men come in downstairs looking for him, sent by Cornelius. Holy Spirit says, go with these men. Nothing doubting, just go. This is my will. And he went. So there's lots of instances of that throughout Scripture and throughout the New Testament where the Holy Spirit leads and guides. One Saturday night, I was lying on my bed my Bible was on my chest. I was going over in my mind what I was going to be preaching on that next morning, as I often do, thinking of nobody in particular. And all of a sudden, a particular pastor came to my mind. I hadn't been thinking about him for ages. And suddenly came to my mind. And I felt this urgency to ring him. Now, this is before the days of mobile phones. So I had to get up off the bed, go to the room, get that cordless phone, bring it back to my bedroom and ring him. I had no idea what I was going to say. And I was feeling, this would be a bit funny, this. You'd be thinking, why in the world am I ringing him? So I dialed and I rung and he came on and I says, hello. And I mentioned his name. I just felt I should ring you. You know what happened? He burst into tears. He started to cry. And he cried and he cried. And I thought, what in the world is this? And then when he got himself together, he says, David, you don't know, but I have been going through the most difficult time in my life spiritually. So it's been awful, desperate. I got the stage where I thought, can I ever hear the voice of God again? Is it, will he ever speak to me again? He says, that's how bad it got. And I says, well, what did you do? He says, I'll well, tell you what I did. I thought, he says, I'm not recommending anybody do this, but here's what I did. I said, Lord... If you're ever going to speak to me again, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get David Gowdy to ring me tonight. <laughs> and he says, within 30 minutes, you just rang me. And I says, no, I had no idea why I rang you. I hadn't got a clue. But the Holy Spirit had. And he led him to do that, and he led me to do that. And that was a special moment. I was sitting in my study one day. It was one morning. Again, I had my Bible on my lap. I was just doing my devotions, reading. And all of a sudden, I got this urgency to tax Claire in the Philippines. Now, we taxed all the time. In fact, nearly every day. But this wasn't just, oh, do you know what? I'll just give Claire a wee tax, see how she is. This was an urgency. I had to do it right there and then. And so I wrote this text. She rang me back about an hour later. She says, Dad, she says, I was standing just a wee while ago. I was standing, she says, 
in the main street of the town where I live, and there was a guy who was right in my face, a so-called Christian, by the way, right in my face telling me that I should get out of this country. I'm a dirty foreigner. Those are the very words he used. You're a disgrace. Get out of this town. Get out of this country. You're a dirty foreigner. This was a believer, by the way. And she says, I'm standing there shaking. She says, this just totally just took me completely by surprise. I'm standing shaking. But she says, I had my phone in my hand. It was on silent, and I felt it vibrate. So I knew attacks had come through. And she said, whenever he walked away after just giving me the riot act, she says, then I remembered I got a text. So she says, I looked at it, and it was your text. <coughs> and here's what you read. Claire, God loves you. He is so pleased with what you're doing. You're doing a fantastic job. Your mom and I love you. We're proud of you. Don't let anybody put you down. You're doing a great job for God. <laughs> And it had to be done right there, right then. So we don't always know why we're doing things, but the Holy Spirit can lead us and guide us. Sometimes when we don't even know why we're doing it. Hindsight is always 2020 vision, isn't it? We're right at the moment, but it's learning to obey and to do it. Because you just never know what might happen. We had him speaking in here. We had him speaking to our men's group. You know him well, Bob McAllister, missionary for many, many years to the Congo. And Bob told me personally, he says, you know, the time that we were captured by the Zimba rebels, and he says, the land is up to shoot us. He says, in Northern Ireland at the same time, he says, there was a farmer, and he was on his tractor in the middle of the field, and he felt to pray for us and he jumped off his tractor and he got on his knees in the muddy field and he poured out his heart to God for us. And he says he had no idea what we were facing at that moment. And he says I was the only one he knew so he was praying for me specifically. He says those rebels opened up and shot and they shot my best friend beside me who died on the spot. He says the bullet grazed my head and I fell but I survived. He says, all the woman was in a hut beside him, including his wife and all the children. They never cried. They never made a sound. But one of the rebels went in, and he sprayed all around the hut, and he never had a one on them. <laughs> Not a one on them. But he says, that man fell on his face in that plowed field to pray for me because the Holy Spirit touched his heart to do that. Holy Spirit will guide us he will open doors. He will bring you favor. He will promote you. He will prosper your way. The Holy Spirit, the anointing, empowers you. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus, filled with the Spirit, went about doing good healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Remember when Jesus went out into that wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and he came back out in the power of the Spirit. If Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit, where does that leave us? This anointing empowers us, empowers you to lead, 
Gideon looked the least likely in the land to be a leader. But God saw something in him that he didn't even see him himself. He was hiding, <laughs> threshing out a little weak wheat, hiding from the Midianites. And God said, you're a mighty man of valor. And boy, he felt, never felt less like being a mighty man of anything. But God raised him up. And in Judges 6, it says that he blew the trumpet by the Spirit. And they gathered around him to fight. The Spirit of God came on him, and he blew the trumpet, and they gathered around him. It's amazing how God can raise you up as a leader where you may not think you've got any capabilities or any giftings. But if the Holy Spirit wants you to lead in some area, he'll give you the ability. He'll give you that ability to do it. Empowers us to minister the word of God, 2 Corinthians 3 and 6, to minister the word of God, to make the word of God come alive so that it means something to us. Empowers us to overcome the wrong desires of the flesh to put to death the deeds of the body. Listen, we cannot overcome temptations just by our willpower alone. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us, to give us the strength to do it. All of us are tempted in different ways, believers. And we fight that as we should. But the Holy Spirit is the one who can empower us to fight that and to win that battle. He empowers us to pray, Romans 8, 26. We know not what to pray for as we ought, but the Holy Spirit, with groanings, with groanings which cannot be uttered. One translation says, inarticulate speech. The Holy Spirit can help pray through us. So the Holy Spirit is such a vital part of our Christian lives. And then finally, anointing abides. 1 John 2, 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone should teach you, but as the same spirit, sorry, the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Holy Spirit abides in you, believer. That means the anointing abides in you. There's times you may not feel that. There's times you may not sense that. There's times you may think the Holy Spirit's far away, but he's not. He abides in us, and his anointing abides in us. So if you go to do anything for the Lord, say, Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who abides in me, who anoints me to do this, who gives me the strength and the ability and the wisdom and the power to do this. And it's wonderful when you do that. He abides in us. The anointing abides in us. This speaks of its place in you, its permanence. It abides, its personhood. You abide in him. He abides in you. 1 John 4 and 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. 
There are powerful forces in this world. There is a great malevolent devil out there who has got great power even to deceive and even in the last days will cause lion wonders and miracles that will deceive many. You remember in Egypt, whenever Moses threw down his rod and snakes appeared, and the magicians threw down their rods and snakes appeared? So no question he's got power, but greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. No matter how much power the enemy's got, no matter how much power is out there that's going to come against us, greater is he that is in us than all of that out there. You just are one single individual believer against all of that that's out there. But there's a greater power in you to overcome all of that. Hallelujah. And every devil will have to bow its knee because of the greater power that's in you. You have an anointing which abides. It's resident. It's a deposit of God's Spirit. And it's in every one of you believers tonight. Amen? So when you face tomorrow... No matter what power or influence or distraction or temptation comes your way, there's a greater one living inside you that will stand up on the inside to overcome that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, you said that you would not leave us comfortless, but that you would come to us. You said that you would send one just like you, but he shall be in you. And so we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for his anointing that abides in each of us tonight, giving us power over all the power of the enemy so that nothing shall by any means hurt us. So we bless you and we give you thanks for this. And Lord, as we face now a working week, as we go into this world that is sin-cursed, help us to go out in the power of the Spirit and to minister to those whom we meet in that anointing that breaks every yoke. So we give you thanks and we praise you for this, for the privilege, for the honor of being vessels of the Holy Spirit, temples of the Holy Ghost. We thank you for this. In Jesus' precious name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.